podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. From the people who turned a niche Scottish football podcast into a critically acclaimed TV show on the BBC. It's Review from the Terrace, a pop culture podcast network. Hello and welcome to the Still Game podcast. My name is Bethany Tennick. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Rewatchable. Hello and welcome to Review from the Turnbuckle. Debating the best in movies, iconic TV shows, classic albums, peak era wrestling and so much more. Some intern got fired for that. Like, <laughs> be like, Jared! And what would you have done? <laughs> Loved it. What a moment. What a moment. Review from the Terrace brings together a collection of professionals, pals, misfits and special guest interviews. The one and only Ewan Angus. Big G Telfer. Director of Still Games, Michael Hines. That's Review from the Terrace, a newly created podcast network with at least two shows dropping every week. Alright Neighbour, good to see you man, good to see you man. It's been a long time man. <laughs> Many people will say it's the biggest moment in the history of wrestling. It's about 35. <laughs> <laughs> Find us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my Scottish football friends. Welcome to the Scottish Football Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Anderson, and I am fortunate to be joined by, oh, wow, he's on the Terrace Podcast, Hearts TV's current presenter, a view from the Terrace social media guy, and Studio Something's main man, Robert Borthwick. Hello. What what an introduction, and I, I think that we should both add um, that we are supporters of, of Scotland's premier teams. Uh, the, the the big two, the big two is they're known, uh, just riding high at the top of the Scottish Premiership table right now. What a wonderful moment. It's really, uh, the Derby is so excited for that reason, because when was the last time that we were good together? Maybe Burley and Mowbray? I mean, aye, the last time we were both properly good would be that time. I seem to remember the start of 2018-19 when Hearts under Levine started like a freight train and I think Hibs started that season well as well. I can't remember. But <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the last time there was something properly riding on it was when uh, Jack Ross had just come in and uh, Daniel Stendhal had just come in mm-hmm. and we were languishing uh, at the bottom of the, the, the table. So uh, aye, yeah, it should be, it should be a, a better derby in a couple of weeks' time. Well, there was another derby this weekend uh, the, the lesser derby, as you will. But we're not actually going to start there because we are petty men. And we're going to start with, I think, each of our two teams, <laughs> as we like to do. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be at Easter Road on Saturday. I'm going to get in and say it first. A little bit disappointed with the crowd um, for, for Easter Road for that opening game. I know we were talking about it off air. Um, but yeah, there was, there was about 30 and a half, 14,000, which on the face of it is all right. Um, for, for a home game against Livingston who, who are sort of languishing but I was really hopeful for this weekend to just be like wall-to-wall fans in every single ground Yeah, yeah I mean that, that was my hope as well I, I genuinely had no idea about his attendance until I watched sports scene and I, I, I sort of you know when they do that wide shot of the East Stand uh, and get the get the lineups up in front of it mm-hmm. as a graphic 
uh, and I looked at that and I was like, oh, they must be using they must be using shots from the warm up. But uh, no, that that was actually the the crowd at kick off, and it is. Like, I, I'm not saying this as a, uh, you know, I, I get it right up you from a Hearts fan. It's just disappointing. Like you, you saw the same at uh, at St Mirren. Um, you know, not not many fans there at all as well, and it's just it's a wee bit it is a wee bit disappointing. But I suppose you know, I I don't know the ins and outs of like what the pricing was like, um, all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm not sure, but yeah, certainly on the face of it, Tony, and, and I'm sure you'll be more disappointed than me as a good Hibs man, um, but it, it wasn't great because it was my it was my opening day with our new season ticket partner in Duncan Mackay. So that was the first time that. Um, we've just got season tickets together in the East Stand and we were we were sitting together and I did comment on it at the start um, the East Stand was pretty ended up pretty full because obviously that's where most people get their season tickets it's the, the sort of fun stand if you like um, but then the West have really filled up so much well hopefully over the coming weeks with the form um, it will fill up and especially over the first four weeks never mind um, the fact that Hibs were winning a lot of games, the matches involving Hibs have been really, really good. They've been like really exciting matches. Uh, and this one, of course, once we're all there, was not. It was uh, by far the worst game, sort of most bland game that um, that sort of Hibs have been involved in uh, this season. And it's really bad for Livingston because Hibs never got out of first or second gear for the entire game and they never once looked in danger and that's that's really bad for, for a team like Livingston because what you're known is what I always expect with last season's Livingston and maybe really since they came back that whenever if you're not at it Livingston were normally the team that would that would come come and hurt you and get in your face yeah yeah I, we have just started the season so slowly and I know that you know David Martindale has kind of been saying like you know Marathon, not a sprint. Uh, he wants to see improvements in performance. It's a new team, so to speak. You know, you've, you've got guys in there. I know Penn Rice has been there before, but Bruce Anderson, Andy Shinney, Odin Bailey, you know, Obelai, new guys coming in. But at the same time, it's it's a sort of presence that Livy have had, uh, like you say, in the last few years. It's just not been shown this season. You know, it's, it's, it's like they've lost the intensity a wee bit. And against a team like Hibs, I mean, you know, Hibs don't have to leave first or second gear to, to hurt you when they've got players like Martin Boyle and Kevin Nisbet. Yeah, absolutely. And it was, um, and I'm going to mention something earlier, but there seems to be other teams in this league that have sort of taken Livingston's blueprint and are, are running with it and some doing it at different levels so far. But it just seems, yeah, I was, I was really disappointed in Livingston. They did have a few issues um, during the course of the game. This new thing that everyone seems to, it's not COVID, but everyone seems to be getting ill. So like in the Hibs-Dundee game last week, people are spewing on the pitch and people were paying through like a bug. And now at this game, apparently Sybild uh, and Anderson both fell ill um, and, and had to come off and, and Fitzwater went off injured. So I don't know if this is just the new the new excuse, the go-to. If, if things don't go well, um, everyone's got the cold or whatever, or they've been spewing up. Um, but... Hibs, I say the first half there was no shots on target, um, so like just no the the crowd. So it started all big, sunshine leaf at the beginning, uh, which normally I would have criticised, but for this week I thought, yeah, why not? Nobody's been here for a long time uh, with with a big crowd, but then it was just it was really really flat. Uh, James Scott was playing a more number ten role for for Hibs in behind Kevin Nisbet, so Hibs were really looking at a four two three one and, and McGuinness. Sort of dropped into the, 
uh, playing in the, the the double pivot, as they say. Oh, um, I, oh, with, I. Yeah. <laughs> with uh, with with Doyle Hayes and, and that sort of Kevin McGinnis played well, uh, and you saw the other parts of his game that maybe we lose slightly playing him in that more attacking role because he is a, he's good at ball carrier. He got man of the match in the ground and in a few uh, a few of the write ups that I saw, and, and and he was impressive, but he wasn't quite able to get into the box quite as much as expect. And and Scott. Um, he's got a bit to go. He, he doesn't look quite fit. I was quite impressed with him in the Dundee game, but he wasn't able to, in that game, he was able to play right on top of the center half because he was the main striker. So he was able to use his body quite well in the turning. I felt that the game, he got he got a bit lost um, playing this 10 role. There's a, a bit of expectation. And, and playing there, um, Darren McGregor was playing once again because this concussion that Paul Hanlon got in Europe, it must be the worst concussion anyone's ever had because he's now been out for about a month. I um, just, you know, it, it reminds me of, uh, was it Craig Curran a few years ago? Yeah. Um, he ended up being out for months uh, with a, a sort of delayed concussion. It's certainly, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm quite happy in a way uh, that Hibs aren't rushing back because I, I think that's obviously a, a hot topic uh, mm-hmm. for and, and sort of rushing players back. So I don't think it's, it's necessarily a, a terrible thing that he's, he's being given that time. But yeah, it's, it's quite a concerning one. Um, you know, Above all else, he's your captain, but oh. from a, a general health point of view, um, it'd be good to get some more updates, I think, for the for the fans to know exactly if he's all right or if he's kind of like, uh, you know, stars going round his head, uh, like, in a, like in a cartoon. But yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's one of the, you know, there's been, it's been really quite quiet about him. There was the expectation that after it happened, he was going to be playing in Croatia. So when McGregor was playing, that wasn't like something that had been expected. Um, and then it's been ever since and there's not really been any sort of words he mentioned that after the game Ross that um, he'd be looking for Hanlon to uh, like after these international breaks to get to get people like him back so we'll, we'll wait and see McGregor played played really really well but as I said with Bruce Anderson he was here he basically had to go off just at half time and, and he was and he was really struggling and he, he was getting no change out of them anyway they want to see you've got you look at the you look at the Livingston team and there's Sybild and there's Shinny there and you're thinking, and Alan Forrest, you're thinking they're going to, um, like people are going to be getting in and around Bruce Anderson, but they, they never bought at all. I thought Jason Holt was their, their best player by a mile. He's just one of those players you'll know you'll know really well, Robert. He's, he's just really easy on the eye. So in a game like that, when it's not going a million miles per hour and there's a bit of space, a guy like Holt looks really good. Yeah, 100%. Holt's always been like that. He was like that, actually, in his sort of time at Rangers as well. He, he can he can take control of the ball, and he's obviously he's fucking tiny, but he still has this ability to sort of bounce off people, keep the ball, you know, keep the ball moving, um, essentially, and bring other players into it. But by the sounds of it, from what I saw, the other players weren't really that keen on getting into the game uh, in a Livingston jersey. You know, like you say, Bruce Anderson being uh, isolated up front isn't, that's not a new thing this season. Um, I, I feel like, you know, players like Anderson who, you know, typically fit a Livingston formation whereby, you know, they, they buzz about a lot, they do a lot of running, mm. uh, they, they close down. I think that that expectation is maybe a mindset thing for midfielders like, oh, it's okay, Bruce will do that. We can sit back and, and, and wait for the ball to come to us, but you just can't survive like that. And like you say, Jason Holtz is the sort of player that will try and take a game by the scruff of the neck. Um, but, you know, when you've got players in there who are, apparently, uh, you know, becoming ill through the game. I don't think that necessarily helps matters. Uh, and, and then obviously you've got Bailey on the other side who didn't, 
correct me if I'm wrong, but it just seems like he didn't get into the game at all. No, I, I don't remember him really kicking the ball at all. Um, and, and, and the game sort of slowed down. The first half got so... We've all been to these games where it just like it gets really quiet in the stadium and the ball's just getting knocked about in midfield and nobody's really snapping at the tackles too much and it's quite possession. So you do start looking around everyone and thinking, you've not touched the ball in ages, man. Um, <laughs> please, <laughs> please take part. Um, I thought Ryan Porches played really well. Again, he nearly he made one of his sort of... I was about to say uncharacteristic errors. That's not correct. That's not correct. A characteristical error that you would expect. Um, he he sort of ran out with the ball uh, and then he tried to draw past someone as the last man and it got back. But luckily enough, I think Paul McGinn was able to come over and, and clean it up for him. But outside of that, he was he was brilliant again. He's like the the passing that he brings to the team is is really huge this season. Actually, and he's I saw it last season and he, and he's grown into it even more. Um, in terms of he's, he's being a leader but he needs to cut out the mistakes because it, it really holds them back taking that role properly and, and being fully taken seriously in that role but the style of play I would say that Porteous probably I've not looked at the stats I'll start looking at them really, I'd argue that he probably takes the most touches in this in this Hibs team he's on the ball a lot and he comes into the opposition half a lot in terms of the goals um, this bit I think what must have been like the first shot on target in the whole game Um Paul McGinn such a horrible goal to lose if you're a, from a Livingston point of view. I mean, Paul McGinn picks it up, comes forward, thinks a nice ball over Penrice, um, and then and then Nisbet sort of picks the ball up and sort of drives into the box. I think just past at the time it would have been Kelly maybe who came on for for Fitzwater, and he and he sort of comes inside him, and it's really quite easy. And then the whole game opens up, and he just strokes it into the. At the bottom corner, so that, this that, this was an interesting one for me because it, it's it's kind of like a a training match, you know, where the defenders mm-hmm. told you know don't get too tight. Actually, we, we want him to get a shot on goal here because mm-hmm. he just Kelly seemed to get nowhere near him at all. But also, should strike do a bit better with it? This it's is what not, yeah. it's not it's not right in the bottom corner, but when you see it from all angles, strike doesn't get close to it. So it's like well. Was it just a, a really nicely hit, well-placed finish or was Strike's positioning a wee bit off, which is why it's been allowed to go in, not mid-net by any means, but certainly not in the corner? Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying that when I was sitting with my mate watching the sports scene on the Saturday. I mentioned that. I was like, this, this game, the goal seemed weird to me at the time. Um, I thought Nisbet done well and I thought he does well. But it's one of those, you maybe think you're expecting the fingertips to maybe knock it around the post. And I was delighted when it went in because the game was even a goal I was thinking Hibs were needing a goal. We'd um, had our own injury issues uh, just before halftime with, with Murphy. Obviously getting a hamstring injury, which is really frustrating for him and Hibs because his, he's, he's, he's been wasteful in front of goal a few times like the Dundee game. But in terms of his all-round performances, he's been really, really good. Um, I mean, I, I just find him a bizarre player, Murphy. You're trying to figure out how no one's able to take the ball off him when he's not running quickly and he doesn't do any tricks. He just seems to just run <laughs> past people. Uh, like, like, it's, it's obviously just really good ball control and, and body shape when he's doing it. It's always been bizarre. So him going off, I thought was a bit of a problem. So Hibbs brought um, Scott Allen, which I think was good. I was starting to get worried because he really wasn't making much appearances since the very start. And obviously the Dundee game, Hibbs went for Gogic um, rather than bring Scott Allen in for that game. So it was nice to see him get like a, a chunk of football again. And James Scott moved out to the left. And uh, Allen still wasn't great. Came up, he looked like he really wanted to drop deep to get involved in the game and, and sort of try to make the passes from deeper. But 
I could see him talking to the to Ross quite a lot. And I think tactically he was telling him he wanted him to stay close to, to Nisbet because the style of the, the, the Hibs formation at that time was the 4 2 3 1. So it was important to be up there and uh, paid dividends at the end when he played the, the 1 2 with Martin Boyle, uh, the, the nice little black heel, which is good for his. For, for the disciples of Scotland, which I think you can imagine at, at Hibs, there's a lot um, of guys who love him who aren't really able to accept at all that maybe Ross has a feeling about Scotland and maybe his fitness isn't great anymore for obvious reasons. But people are really like just insist that he must play and he's very good. Well, they'll be chuffed because it's the perfect sort of highlight reel moment for, for Scott Allen doing that at a back heel and then Martin Boyle just that second touch he takes to push it away um, to get into the byline and then the, the finish is just outrageous. Honestly, like, see, see you're talking about Scott Allen there. His his end of career highlight reel will make him look like one of the greatest midfielders of all time. <laughs> uh, with some of the passes and, and, and some of the, like you say, the flicks, the behind the corners. He loves a reverse pass as well. Um, but I think, you know, you, you talk about the, the, the disciples of Scott Allen and I'm, I'm certainly not one of them, but I, I am glad to see him getting some game time again. You know, he went to Cali Thistle last season and, and did well um, for them. I, I was kind of surprised when he stayed on at Hibs this season. Um, I just I, I just don't know if he's still going to have that that level where he can help uh, what is a, a, you know, an increasingly very good Hibs team uh, to be even better. But, you know, like, like you say, all he needs is one moment. And that one moment's a wee flick into Martin Boyle, one, two. It's a great goal. And, and it just kind of shows you as well, you know, when they want to, Hibs can really hurt you, and yeah. you're looking at you're looking at the goal scorers in this game. But I think particularly the latter and Martin Boyle is just an absolute cut above. Um, you know, is it a cut above most wide players? And and you know when he plays centrally, cut above in this league generally, uh, he's he's one of the best players and one of the most impactful players. So to to see him playing with that sort of confidence and like you say, the finish, the wee dink is just absolutely beautiful. Uh, one of those really visually pleasing goals. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's like you say, you know, Hibs, Hibs didn't get out of a, a particular first or second gear, but but when they wanted to, they could, and it completely killed off the game, despite the fact I don't think Levy were ever really going to come back into it anyway. Um, no, no, they, they, yeah. they, they certainly were not. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. I, you know, I, it kind of shows you as well that Jack Ross allowed himself to, to push James Scott wide, bring on Scott Allen, who's not had much game time, uh, and, and give these guys minutes and, and, and try them out in different positions as well. It, it's a kind of sad indictment on, on where Levy everywhere in that game that, that Ross felt he could kind of tinker with it a wee bit and it would still work. Yeah, to bring like Alan on to, to get to get these minutes in his legs because he wanted to be able to use him even if it's like an impactful squad player and like, like James Scott, you wouldn't expect to be getting near enough 90 minutes out of him yeah. either, but he felt that this was a game where he could because Livingston just didn't really want to press the ball or get involved and I thought Martindale, that was big stuff, big talk at the end. I don't know why you'd put yourself, just don't mention the relegation stuff. I Nobody's know. asking you. Um, so why do you have to come out and say it? Four games. Four games, mate. <laughs> like, he mo- like people, these managers will moan at, the, and at Christmas time when they're doing shit. He'll moan at the media for talk, always asking him about relegation, relegation, relegation. He's the first one to bring it up. Um, yeah. No one, no one's asking him about it. And I don't know why he wanted to put that pressure on himself or on, on his players. And now they're all thinking, all right, the, so, the, so people, people are already thinking about we're, we're, we're relegation for the season and there's no reason to because I thought there'd be a drop off for Livingston this season but there's no real excuse because it's not like he's got loads of over the hill players and he's got a lot of guys that are used to playing together so like, even if they drop off they finish eighth there's no real reason in my opinion that they, they should be 
going to drop being in a, a relegation battle. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I, I think, you know, it is a very poor start, but as as the season goes on, and bear in mind, you know, they've, they've played, you know, Aberdeen and Hibs already in their, in their four games this season. It's not it's not been an easy start uh, by by any stretch, but I think, you know, the, the league table won't lie at the end and all that kind of stuff, but I still think they've probably got more about them than than some other teams uh, in this in this league. And I think that'll that'll start to tell, but it, he needs to get these players playing together because, you know, the, the excuse of, you know, this is a new team can only last so long um, until it's not a new team anymore. <laughs> yeah. and it's, just, and it's just a bunch of guys who aren't playing well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, illness doesn't help uh, when they've got players literally just sort of falling over mid-game. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, to not even lay a glove on a on a Hibs team that, that didn't perform, you know, spectacularly on the day, is that that is a concern. And, and you know, the way they're losing goals with... You can question strike on uh, on Nisbet's goal on Saturday, but you know Mackenzie's goal for Aberdeen and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. it's simple, basic stuff uh, that Livingston have kind of prided themselves on in in recent years, defensively certainly, maybe not in the the goalkeeping area, but yeah, it's it's <laughs> literally the only way is up right now for Livingston. Well, the only way is up. A team that's very much on the up is your little gorgy boys. Rob Borthwick, oh. and they went another away game, which we've not seen a lot. Is that back-to-back wins away from home um, for Hearts, in the league anyway, uh, as they won 2-0 at Tannadice. Well, on you go, on you go, have fun. Back lyrical. I tell you what, it's it's not often uh, you see Hearts completely dominate most of a game away from home, and that's exactly what they did uh, on, on Saturday. They started with a 3-4-3 again, which is absolutely Hearts' preferred formation this season. You can see it with the signings that are coming in as well, that that's absolutely what we're going to do. And sometimes, you know, with that, you can kind of relinquish a a little bit of possession, especially in the middle of the park. You've only got two players in there uh, for Hearts right now. It's it's Peter Haring and Benny Beningame, but obviously Cam Devlin's come in. So it'll be interesting to see where, where he fits into the team as well. But that opening 45 minutes, in fact, to be honest, the opening 60 minutes, Hearts were completely dominant in terms of possession, uh, in terms of chances created, um, and in terms of passing, just just passing stats generally. Hearts were absolutely on top. And I think that that, that reflected itself. I mean, fortuitous, though the opening goal was, it was absolutely deserved. Um, you know, Gary McKay, Stephen, not one of his most uh, vintage displays, uh, but certainly got involved a lot. And it was him that won the penalty. Uh, dispossessing or well you know kind of keeping possession and, and flummoxing uh, Ryan Edwards into into filling him but you know way before that Hearts were Hearts were dominant I think the key to what they were doing was down the right hand side uh, and it's something that has, has been a feature when Hearts have dominated games this season thinking about the, the last away game that Hearts won as well away at St Mirren um, the right hand side of, of John Souter Michael Smith and uh, whoever the winger may be so on this occasion it was Ben Woodburn uh, who was then uh, replaced by Josh Schnelli. I think Woodburn had a, a decent debut. Um, I'm not sure right wing is, is absolutely his best position, but I suppose it's a, it's a very small sample size from now. But the way that Hearts were, were playing it down that right-hand side, John Souter was essentially playing as a right wing back. Michael Smith was playing as a right winger. And Ben Woodburn was playing as a sort of inside forward. And the Hearts, just, Hearts were just going down that side time and time and time again. And, and Dundee United didn't really have an answer to it. I think the... The movement of, of John Souter, especially who, you know, in the in the first half, it was just, oh, just beautiful. Like, you know, it's, I feel like it's, we've been deprived of John Souter for mm. so long. You really save him when he's there. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, the way he's playing just now, he's, he's an absolute joy to watch. And yeah, as I say, 
Dundee United couldn't get their foot on it. I think, uh, you know, losing out, uh, losing Peter Pollock uh, was was never going to be a, a good thing. He's so important to the way that they press the opposition and, and the way that they try and sort of retain the ball. Chris Mockery came in and although he's, he's definitely a very good, talented, you know, technical player, he's not quite ready for that level. He gets brushed off it a wee bit too easily and, and Andy Halliday was, was chewing him up quite a lot in that first half, despite, by the way, Halliday again, not playing at his best. Um, Dylan Levitt in the midfield for Dundee United again. You know, Courts is, he's always keen to play young players. He's always keen to play technical players, but you can kind of see the pitfall of that and, and you know, I, I'm not comparing these two, by the way. I'm not, I'm not that, <laughs> I'm not that lazy. But it reminds me of Ian Castro and, and the way that he signed players that were technically, you know, decent, technically proficient, but not up to the sort of physical standard of, of Scottish football. And when you see him bringing in youngsters like Mockery, although that is a good thing, and Dylan Levitt playing, they were overrun. You know, Peter Haring and Benny Beringame just completely ate them up uh, and, and Spurla couldn't really get into the game either. And that, that, was, just, something that, to, that was something I wanted to ask you, Rob, is... Like how obviously when we watched everyone when they saw them in the live game against Rangers at Tanadice, and that's what everyone sort of would be harping back to at the moment. And it was so high energy, they pressed like they were going out, like, like pressing out their minds in that game. And the fullbacks were really getting involved. And we saw that again uh, last week when they, when they managed to they managed to get the win at St Johnston. So is it is it literally just because people like Paul at not playing, or did? Or was it a tactical thing? Did they look like they were dropping off hearts? Yeah, I mean, they, they, they missed the intensity uh, that Pollock brings, like 100% they did. But I think it was more, hearts kind of saw them coming. Dundee United were still pressing. You know, mm-hmm. they were still trying to snap in, especially the first 20, 25 minutes. They then did drop off because I, I think hearts were just sort of quite relentless in, in keeping the ball. Um, but yeah, like, for example, Spurla is, is a really good presser. You know, he's, he's got that energy and Fuchs uh, sort of coming out to help as well. But Nicky Clark, for example, was was too central, so he wasn't coming out to help. So Hearts played it round him. Mm. You know, Hearts down that right hand side essentially had Suter, Beringame, Woodburn, Smith, and they were they were just passing it round them every time. And, and Hearts were getting in behind, uh, getting crosses into the box. Although the, the quality of the cross was never really there uh, from Hearts, which is annoying because it was the same against Aberdeen, uh, not getting good quality balls into the middle. Is but this Hart- Michael Smith or who, who's who's been the main deliverer? Yeah, so I mean, Michael Smith. Um, I share criticisms of Michael Smith, so that's why I wanted to, to sort of come in because I know he's such a hugely popular player. I know he's been an excellent player for Hearts. Is it merely the position that he's been played isn't really quite up to the standard, or do you think his abilities are are waning at his age? Well, I think in the opening few league games of the season, I thought he was great against Celtic, mm. um, and he was good against St Mirren. He wasn't very good against Aberdeen, um, and I think a lot of that was down to the system that Aberdeen played sort of nullifying them a wee bit. Uh, Aberdeen kind of going toe for toe in terms of uh, formation in that game. He was back to his best uh, against Dundee United, not in terms of getting the ball into the middle. Again, you know, I think the best deliveries we had in the game were, were mainly from Woodburn and Suter. Um, but the way that Michael Smith plays right wing back is essentially inverted. So he comes into the midfield quite a lot, allowing Suter to overlap. And then obviously given Ben Woodburn or, or Liam Boyce or whoever's coming out some time on the ball as well. But I love Michael Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that at right wing back this season, he's absolutely a good option. I think he'll do a great job. I think going forward, and you know, you can maybe mention Messers, Fowler, and Sked with this, having a more attacking wing back is maybe the way forward um, thereafter. But 
you know, Saturday showed what Michael Smith can offer um, to Hearts, and that is being a great option wide, so tidy on the ball. You know, he, he very, very rarely loses it. He can always find a pass. And he's got the sort of intelligence to, to, to look inside sometimes as well and play that more central role um, if he has to. But I remain a massive fan of Michael Smith uh, and I will hear no, no words said against him. You're not going to get them from me. Another interesting thing that, that you, you would see is if you're Woodburn or Ginelli, um, maybe your defensive work doesn't have to go be so high and they're able to just stay up and stretch the pitch, which allows Hearts to to really dominate. I mean, I've not seen Woodburn yet, but I certainly for, for Ginelli, I, I would be, if he was sticking, I'd be very worried about my fullback sort of marauding forward. Um, and you've got Benningham, Suter and Smith able to shuffle over. Maybe Hearts can afford to, to leave someone up like that, which again, tactically can really help. And like I say, Michael Smith coming inside because the problem with 3-4-3 is you can get dominated in the middle of the park because so many teams play with three. It's, like, it's more common probably for teams to play with three in the centre than it is with two. Um, so, yeah, maybe tactically it, it does work. Yeah, and it's interesting. I'll sort of like, I'll, I'll take a couple of things that you said there. So Ben Woodburn in the first half was busy. He was very busy. You know, he was he was closing down. He was pressing. When he got on the ball, he had some nice touches around the corner to an underlapping Michael Smith or, or, or to Liam Boyce or whoever. Um, a couple of decent deliveries. You know, he's not afraid to, to have a dribble and have a run. But but mainly what I noticed was his his energy and his willingness to, to sort of help the team uh, as, as much as he did. He came off, um, I, I think, you know, mainly as a precaution. He, he took a wee knock or maybe had some cramp. And you saw the different style that Ginelli has, which is just so direct. Mm-hmm. And he does, he does stay up the park. And that's, you know, a big reason why Hearts got their second. And Josh Ginelli really, you know, after he came on was just, he was so keen to be the out ball and, and, and stretch the play that much. So it's interesting what you say, because it's actually a bit of both happened in that game where Woodburn was willing to help in the more defensive way, you know, defending from the front, what he wasn't tracking back as such. But, Josh Ginelli is more about getting on the ball, running at his man, getting the ball into the middle and, and trying to create things uh, than Ben Woodburn. And also, you know, what you're saying about the, the two in the middle versus the three in the middle, when Dundee United brought on Callum Butcher and Ian Harks, they they brought back um, some some control to the game and, and they were, you know, thereafter, they were a better team. They were creating things. Craig Gordon made some very good saves because they, they were able to, to get in behind Harks more often because it was an overload. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested why courts maybe didn't see that sooner mm. uh, and do that because thereafter, you know, they really were the better team. And St Mirren did that to Hearts as well. Um, uh, just a few weeks ago, Hearts obviously still holding out and winning that game as well. But it's quite clear that if you play a three in the midfield, Hearts will find it hard to deal with that. Um, and, you know, I was I was on the gantry uh, on, on Saturday and I was kind of, not willing Tan Courts to change it, but questioning why he didn't do it earlier. Uh, mm. Because when he did do it, Dundee United were a, a completely different team uh, and, they, and they really started creating things. You know, Mark McNulty got into the game a lot more. Callum Butcher was, was bursting through midfield. Ian Harks was finding pockets of space. And Fuchs from there on in was just absolutely flawless. What a player he is. I've, I've got so Aye. much to him. Uh, you know, him and, him and Beningame up against each other was a great battle for the full 90 minutes. But... But really, when United started overloading it, it became a lot more intense. Um, and it was it was just a really sort of enjoyable midfield battle between those two very, very talented players. And then Bignangeli coming up. Well, it was the two substitutions uh, combining for for the second goal uh, yeah. with Nangeli. And Nangeli, that'll be big for him because, I think, again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but 
people are questioning his attitude a bit in recent weeks. He didn't seem to be happy about being on the bench, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it'll be big for Hearts for have because you will need Nandule. He's, um, I think, like similar to like maybe Hibs with Dodge. I feel like every team needs one in Scottish football. I'm not saying it's a long ball league, but we do go direct and it, it is aggressive. I feel like every team needs a target man almost if you want to be up the be up the top of the league for because games will demand it, especially when you start going into winter. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, you don't know the inner workings of Armand Nondrier. I think he had some family issues, which is mm-hmm. why he's, the last couple of games, maybe his head's not been quite right this season. And, and you know, rightfully, he's not been a part of this team from the start because Liam Boyce has been absolutely brilliant yeah. and the way the Hearts play is with one striker and, and that's just kind of the way it is with this system um, but Liam Boyce is one of the best strikers in the league you're not going to you're not going to be getting ahead of him exactly exactly but what you can do is impact the game from the bench and uh-huh. that, I'm so so happy that he was able to do that I think um, you know we can talk about the goal in, in a wee minute but right before the goal um, Dundee United were, were sort of attacking down the left hand side Um Trying to remember who it was that was going down the left. I, I can't remember this now. I think it was Jamie Robinson, but John Souter was caught out of position a wee bit. He'd rushed out and Nandwe sprinted from centre forward all the way basically back to our corner flag right before then, made sure that Dundee United couldn't attack and sort of, you know, completely helped out Michael Smith down the right hand side when he needed it. And I loved seeing that because it showed a willingness and it showed an attitude. Um that, that maybe we haven't seen quite so much of from him. And so he's clearly fired up. He wants to he wants to make a difference to the team. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, he's rolling it into the into the bottom corner for the, the clinching goal. Um, again, a lot of that down to the good work of Michael Smith. Um, Dundee, he caught Dundee United in possession on the left-hand side. And Josh Nelly, as soon as he got it, he'd actually, Ginelli, a couple of minutes later, had, had sort of cut inside and hit one of the piss-weakest shots I've ever seen in my life <laughs> towards goal. And I was worried that he'd maybe had a taste for it uh, because Nandwe was square, but no, he's, he's just completely unselfish, really calm. Rolled it to Nanby and he's cool as you like, slotted it into the bottom corner. Carson Carson got a wee touch, but didn't stand much of a chance. And you can see, you know, obviously players are always going to celebrate goals together, but you can kind of see that the fact that Nandby was absolutely mobbed by his teammates, that, that they hold him in, in high esteem as well, and they want him to do well. So it's really promising to see both strikers scoring, essentially, mm-hmm. on the day, because that's, that's what you want your strikers to do. And it's his first in the Premiership as well. So I, I, again, you know, it's... It's a big boost and it shows that we've got a great option uh, to come off the bench because against St Mirren, again, he kind of changed the game. He came on, held it up. He was an outball and, and it was his good work that led to, to Liam Boyce's eventual winner. So he, he offers he offers something different and that's that's what Hearts have maybe missed in recent years. And that packed stand at Tardice looked good fun. Just oh, say that. Aye. Uh, oh, like I loved it. Motherwell, when I was there with, with him, so I'm looking forward to get a few more away days. It's just so fucking good when I'm in a game away from home. Honestly, mate, I'm so jealous because I, I wasn't I wasn't in the away stand. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so jealous of it, but it looked it looked class, and also, you know, Dundee United sold a hell of a lot of tickets as well. Mm-hmm. They they contributed a lot, a lot to the atmosphere. Mostly booing Gary McKay, Stephen, but uh, they contributed a lot. And you know, Tannadice in the sun is is one of those great stadiums because of the bright orange and stuff like that. It was just uh, it was it was just a, a bloody lovely day to watch football. I'm uh, sure, uh, sure, Gary McKay, Stephen is used to being booed finally in in, uh, in Scottish football. And let's go to the old firm game then, eh? Why not? That's what you're all here for. Well, maybe <laughs> not. But um, Ibrox, we had Rangers managing to defeat Celtic by one goal to nil. The game didn't really go the way everyone expected. We expected sort of pandemonium um, and 
sort of defensive errors and, and loads of goals. But that wasn't for I want to try, and I felt the tempo was really, really good, uh, Robert. The tempo was good, but the game itself, I think because of the expectations, was a bit of a letdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of clear-cut chances in the first half, you essentially just had uh, Odson Edwards sticking that one wide uh, when he when he missed. Can't hit the post as well. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> so I was watching it in the pub, uh, and there was Rangers fans in front of me, and that Kent shot was so obviously not going in that they didn't even react when it hit the post. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, you just knew it wasn't going in so even though it did hit the post uh, it, it wasn't really putting too much danger on Joe Hart's mm-hmm. but I, I think genuinely like it just wasn't it didn't like the blue touch paper as, as much as you wanted it to um, you know there, there were some some really really good performances I thought Leon Balogun and uh, mm-hmm. Ralston the two right backs were brilliant um, Glenn Kamara coming back in for Rangers is, is just a joyous sight I absolutely love watching him play football um, David Turnbull when he gets his foot on the ball is, is a very good player and, and Steve Davis I thought was especially towards the end of the game was absolutely brilliant but in terms of actual quality chance creation and all that kind of stuff it, it, it did flatter to deceive a wee bit became quite a I think it became quite a tactical battle um, especially the first half I thought Celtic really had a handle on the game and Cal McGregor was sort of running the show in that central area again, because I worried, I was thought it was really brave again when they went with Turnbull, Christie and McGregor. And I know we, I, I was talking to people, Tom, last week, and, and I'm sure I mentioned it to you, when, especially in Altmar, I was surprised when he was, well, he had, he had Rogic and Turnbull up in there and McGregor doing this sort of role by himself. So I was quite surprised how much they dominated that game with Kamara, Aribo and Davis in there. Like when you match those two midfields up, you think the more sort of possession-based would be the, the Rangers one there. But in the first half, it was it was certainly Celtic, uh, Furuashi they had over on the left-hand side, and Abada. And that seems to be a big criticism of Ange, the first time I really heard one, is about Furuashi putting left. I don't know, but I feel that was a bit unfair. Maybe it took too long to bring him inside but, I mean, starting an old run game with Odson Edward up front and, and, and Kyogo left wing, which is what I, I, mean, I thought he was sold at, didn't seem seem that bonkers at the start, did it? No, it, it didn't. But I think it's it's quite clear that Kyogo's best position is playing off the, the, the central defenders, trying to make mm. runs in behind. So I, I can kind of see it. But then at the same time, if, if you do that, then you, you kind of lose the, the high impact and the purpose of Odson Edward, who consistently over the last three, four years has been the best striker in Scotland, in my opinion. Um, so you're always you're always going to bank on that. And I think Hugo was doing his best to impact the game off the left. Uh, you know, he he set nice, up that chance, yeah. He set up the chance. You know, he, he had some nice touches inside. He, he was trying to find his man, but he's definitely at his best through the middle. I, I, mm. I think there's no doubt about that at all. Would I say it's a mistake from Ange to do that? I, I don't think it's a mistake, but I think it's... It is slightly to the detriment of Kyogo, but not necessarily to the detriment of Celtic, if that if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, I, you know, I thought Celtic were were good value. I, I think you know, I said to uh, Mr. Craig Telfer, who I was watching the game with, that you can't tell who the better team is watching that, and that's quite a big thing for Celtic given the year that they've just had. Um, you know, you, you couldn't really separate them too much. I, I think they they looked like two fairly even teams. Um, even with that joker Carl Starfelt at the back they they, <laughs> they, they they do look like sort of fairly evenly matched obviously Rangers have had their Covid issues and they've got big players to come back in um, but even having said that one of the big players to come back in is Tavernier and, and as I said Balogun was absolutely brilliant at right back so yeah 
yeah, it was it was an interesting one. It was it was uh, absorbing um, more than it was entertaining. And then going back to that tactical battle, I was I mean I thought there was a, the big change that sort of I felt really changed the swung the game more into Rangers' favour was they brought Kent inside to play the, the sort of ten role. They really narrowed up Rangers in the in the in the second half. Um, which at first I was waiting, I really expected a lot from Abada then because I thought he was going to get a lot more room because obviously Rangers had really brought everyone really narrow in the side and Barisic was pushing up the pitch. Um, but I thought Abada was much quieter, unfortunately, d- despite that. Uh, but as we said, Kyogo got moved inside at that period and that's when Celtic, after they went 1-0 down, started to get their most joy. And you, you were, you're spotting about Rangers, Hollander, was having a great game against Edward, and once she shifted it up, and the, the style of player that was put in against them, it took him too long to get to grips with the new style that he couldn't put play so high up. He couldn't defend so aggressively. He kept on trying to push it to get the ball, which created all the room for Kyogo to sort of dart off because you could see him. He was always moving Hollander's side because obviously Golton's quicker uh, and, and has a bigger stride than Hollander. And anyone who listens to this knows that I'm sort of like Hollander's biggest fan. But in terms of Fukuoko, what he's looking for is that. And he got there, but he got it wrong. So both times they got that chance, the one where he never crossed it to Christie, when Christie was going crazy, which was, is ironic to see Ryan Christie getting so, fr- <laughs> so frustrated about someone not passing to him when he's in a better sort of scenario, but he definitely should have. And then the next time he did cut it back when the goalie had sort of committed and there was sort of room at the front post for him to to tuck it away. So he'll be frustrated there. But yeah, you're, you're spot on the Kielgren one. It changed the, the impact. So the two tactical switches that the managers made in the second half did give each of them impetus. But unfortunately for Celtic, their sort of Achilles heel of set pieces is there again. And, and it's, a, it's a good ball for Barisic. Welsh loses Hollander. What do you think? Should Joe Hart have saved that, Robert? No. <laughs> um, no, I, I, do you know what? It's it's such a well. Is is uh, I believe the the football parlance is he's planted that header, mm-hmm. you know, right off the right off the middle of the forehead. Um, he probably didn't even feel it. It was that sweet a connection. And and you know, when you're that close in, and it is going back across Joe Hart's body, I'd, like you can blame Hart for a lot of things in his career. I'm just not sure that you can blame him for that one. He's he's got a decent hand on it, but the power on the header is is taking that ball in every single time. As I say slightly wrong-footed as well because Hart's coming mm-hmm. back across to that side of the goal uh, where where Hollander is, is beaten. I think it's actually Starfelt he gets above in the end. Um, Hollander, and it, you know, it is a good ball in mm-hmm. um, but you still want your defenders to be able to deal with that. Um, it, it's kind of dropping just outside the six-yard box. You know, even if it's a guy coming off the post to attack it rather than, you know, the stand and start that, uh, that Starfelt has. You're right, it, it's plagued Celtic and it's Something they've actually done quite well to, to sort of temper a wee bit um, so far this season. They're not quite as catastrophic as they were, but it's, it's not a good goal to lose from Celtic's point of view. Essentially, cross the end is what it was. So, yeah, but it was going to take a it was going to take a goal like that to win that game because there just yeah. there wasn't that much in it, uh, and and you know the the forwards were maybe squandering a wee bit just to take it back uh, one second as well. To you were saying that Kent was sort of brought inside. Hundred percent. That's because Anthony Ralston was bodying like bodying him into next week. He could not get any change out of Ralston, who absolutely not, like battered him a couple of times, uh, which was a, a joy to watch. I have to say. 
yeah, and then, then that also came inside and then it was able to nullify McGregor's sort of impact on the game um, as they basically, they almost went at a diamond, I think, uh, Rangers at that point. I thought Aribo was pretty good in a defensive. So I said, something we don't really talk about a lot about Aribo. Um, he, he won the ball back a lot. He, he, he was he, His work rate was high. And with those telescopic legs, he got there. I was going to ask, one, I think something we can all agree on, Ryan Christie, again, rubbish, real rubbish in, in the match, uh, which is frustrating because he's had a good start to the season. And um, so this is a big game where you expect, we talk so often about how he, he easily, like he's either the or one of the most talented footballers in the country. And it's, it's always a shame in a game like this where he isn't, so he doesn't light up whatsoever. Yeah, it was reminiscent of Ryan Christie last year. You know, he, he was trying... When he had passes on, he was trying to shoot when he had a, a crowd of blue jerseys in front of him. He wasn't making the right decisions. He wasn't retaining the ball. You know, again, hindsight, but the way that Tom Rogic has played from the start in recent weeks and the way that Tom Rogic has played in previous derbies, kind of surprised that he didn't start the game on this occasion as well. But no, Christie, you can see why Celtic fans are so frustrated with him. You know, he's 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 been great for them for a couple of years and then obviously... Last year uh, was was a, a bit of a tail off, and then there's all the chat about him, you know, talking to clubs that are potentially interested from other clubs, and you're thinking, right, is that maybe playing into his mind a wee bit as well? As it it's frustrating is the word by Ryan Christie because everyone knows how good he is because he's shown how good he is in recent years, both you know at Cali Thistle, Aberdeen, and at Celtic, he's shown what he can do and how he can change the game in a heartbeat by himself if he wants to, uh, if he's if he's fit and firing. So. Aye, frustrating and the fact he played 90 minutes as well I kind of thought was was a bit weird because I'd, I'd have hooked him uh, personally obviously David Turnbull was uh, was the man sacrificed but yeah it's just it's sad to see when Christie doesn't play well because I think you know even as a, a Hearts fan you as a Hibs fan when he's playing well he's really fun to watch mm. and you want to see players like that playing in Scotland but he was just he wasn't at it at all uh, and it's, it's yeah annoying I think more than anything else and finally last thing uh, what was your opening thoughts on Juranovic? Juranovic, I t- tidy, tidy. I would say you know, he, which is he was, good for an out position of making your debut. That's probably pretty decent. Hundred percent, and you know he was seeing so much of the ball as well um, because you know Roof's not a guy that's going to absolutely be on top of you every single time you get the ball, and, and he was being allowed that sort of the courtesy of the time to to find passes in field. You know, he, he found. McGregor a lot in the in the first half, like you were saying, when McGregor was kind of running the show a wee bit. Um, a lot of that was coming, you know, sort of from Juranovic's position. It's hard to tell uh, because it's not his favourite position. Uh, he will find it very hard to displace Anthony Ralston uh, from the right back berth uh, that he will be going for. But no, he, he's certainly certainly a tidy footballer. You know, he's not afraid to to get stuck in. Timed a couple of really nice tackles down the touchline as well. So, yeah, it, you know. I think that everyone who's going to be signed by Postacoglu, uh, and I, I put stress on by Postacoglu and not by Celtic, um, you know, I've I've got faith in Postacoglu to do what's right for for the system and the team that he plays. Um, and it does feel like Juranovic is, is going to be one of his signings, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I think he will be a decent acquisition and, and a solid 7 out of 10 display uh, for his derby. Um, one more thing to mention very quickly, I know we're taking our time on these games, but uh, Robbie McCrory, fair play. Yeah, because especially on this podcast, we've uh, we've spoke down to him uh, a yeah. fair, fair amount, and for him to come in, and that's in a week back to back clean sheets, um, and in two big games, and Rangers will be delighted with that as well. Because I said, they, they, even though we looked at their teams, I thought their teams were fine in both games, 
um, missing big players, but I never looked at the team and thought, wow, they're struggling. Uh, but that was the one position where they definitely were and you thought they were downgrading. And uh, yeah, he's done, he's done, he's done absolutely brilliant, really. And like, I like that. I thought that Rob, Fowler said about do we don't we don't we give out field players a break sometimes on loan deals when they're not settled, but do we do that with goalies? And maybe, maybe he'll go on and be pretty good. Um but someone who's not pretty good in goals and it has been slagged off a lot on here and we still stick by it. Ross Laidlaw uh, dropping a clanger to um, Aberdeen to allow Aberdeen to, to pick up a to pick up a point at Petodre. Did you see that goal? How did you see it for Rob? What, what an incredible segue that was first and foremost. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it must be so just demotivating as a Ross County fan <laughs> when you've done well you, you know you've got ahead in a game at Petodre you know Aberdeen have been decent so far this season you're playing well you've got guys like Callahan, Charles Cook uh, making a difference in the game and then your goalkeeper's an absolute donkey and he, he basically rolls it out to uh, to big Chris Ramirez to, to tap in for the, the late equaliser it must yeah as I say demoralising um, to, to see that as a Ross County fan because especially not many people are giving Ross County a huge chance uh, this season. I think, you know, that there is some justification for that as well if, if you look at the the team, the players that they've got mm-hmm. and, uh, and the manager. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's just such a kick in the teeth um, for, for Ross County because they had battled away in that game and they actually had some chances to, to sort of put Aberdeen to the sword more so as well in the second half, especially Ross Callaghan, as I said before, you know, doing really well in, in a more advanced position and, and running them be, uh, in behind. But... <laughs> It's an awful mistake, an yeah. awful mistake from Laidlaw. You know, he's, he's not, I don't know if he's tried to catch it and it's squirmed through or if he's tried to push it away and it's it's just not the contact he was looking for. I genuinely can't tell because he's like a phantom. It just goes right <laughs> through him. Uh, and then there's Christian Ramirez saying thank you very much. Because um, yeah, that's one thing Ramirez is, is that work rate's big. He, he, he was like, like piling in to try and score the goal. And it's a shit finish for Hayes as well. Like Hayes has let himself do it in that late, in the game, that's a huge chance that we get back in, and 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 and, he, and he's fucked it, frankly. But uh, fair play to Ramirez for for piling in because he didn't get a lot to go on during the game. And, and to be honest, he's after sort of like a whirlwind start. Uh, the goals are sort of drying up a bit for him. And again, we saw the strength of Aberdeen's squad, especially with. I mean, last week they just went out and signed three players, all seem with pretty good pedigree. Um, all in one day and just got that sorted the second they need it and then they've still got guys like Hayes coming off the bench uh, Watkins and G. Emmanuel Thomas and Emmanuel Thomas sort of doing really well to create the goal he's really loving that sort of withdrawn role which I've just it's one of those where you realise you don't know a player till you watch them Rob because I mean when he first came in last season you're thinking you are a target man you play you're going to rough up Scottish football defenders but he's like anything but really Oh, it's such a such a delicate we touch on him. <laughs> you look at you look at the quotes from Arsene Wenger years ago, and you're like, ah, oh, he had a point. Um, yeah, it, it was it was really nice work, especially for the goal because he's kind of he's taken a touch. It's maybe slightly maybe slightly fortuitous that it's gone round Harry Payton in the way that it has. Mm. But the ball into Johnny Hayes is absolutely perfect. You know, he completely takes out the the Ross County defence, and I saw him at Tynecastle the other week there, and he was doing. T- not the same sort of thing. He was playing more, uh, more sort of wide right um, in that game. He was giving Alex Cor- uh, Corcoran nightmares because he is, you know, he is the the physical, <laughs> you know, incredible specimen that mm-hmm. you see. 
he has those attributes, but he's also just a good footballer. And I think, uh, you know, Aberdeen fans may want him to, to be more involved in terms of scoring goals and, and getting on the score sheet. But he's doing what he's doing and he's doing it effectively, you know, be that from the bench, uh, which which has sort of tended to be in the last few weeks. But he's a high impact player uh, that, that can change the game for you. And it's exactly what he did uh, on, on Sunday. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, you, you loathe to give Johnny Hayes any credit for that. I'm sure he'll probably get an assist, but um, you, you absolutely shouldn't. Uh, but yeah, he's 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 got the potential to be a game changer, Emmanuel Thomas. I'm not sure that right now he should be the guy that's starting, and certainly right now he's not the guy that's starting. But yeah, he's, he's a handful for for any midfield or defence to to try and handle. And, um, another one who looks, uh, I was really impressed when I watched a bit of this game, uh, Samuel's coming in. You, he is going to be a nightmare. He's a head. Aye. He's an absolute pest. Aye. Aye. He, just, he just keeps running. I think, you know, so, some of his uh, some of his decision-making and, and sort of final ball and, and shots on goal weren't perfect, but, you know, it's a debut. And uh, this is a guy that's just going to run and run for days and and really sort of try and put the defence on the back foot uh, like he was doing to, to, to poor Conor Randall for a while. Um, you know, he wasn't, wasn't getting much of a breather. So, yeah, I, I think you look at all the signs that, that the Dons have made in, in the last sort of few days. Matty Longstaff, Really highly rated midfielder. He he set up a, a few chances in that game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Samuel's uh, just running and running and running. And Marley Watkins, you know what he provides already. You know, he, he came into Aberdeen last season and was one of their better players for sure. So, yeah, good signings from Aberdeen. Obviously, that will still be reeling from the fact that they never got Martin Boyle. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you, you can see what they've done with Samuel's here and getting a, a really pacey attacker that plays wide can come inside. Yeah, they, they were looking for the blueprint of that kind of player, uh, and they, they seem to have got it with Samuel's. I think he's going to be he's going to be a very exciting one to watch. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when you get Hedges back, you've got Hedges, Samuels, the new the new Ojo, who's a, a wide attacking player now, and um, like all all going to the same. And Johnny Hayes either coming in at Dean Campbell playing at left back now, and, and so I had a good performance against Hearts, and he said he didn't he well he wasn't too much wrong. Even he, he he did find it tough against Charles Cook. I, I suppose I'll go on to talk a bit about Ross County. Um, Harry Clark's going to be big for them. He's, you, the, the difference he made with Yakoviti as well, Yakoviti's had a really poor start to the season. Um, and I think Yakoviti uh, was being, being exposed a bit with the fact it wasn't a back three. I mean, Ross County <laughs> conceded tons of goals last season while playing a back three. Um, so now they're so even more exposed, these central defenders. But Harry Clark, with looked a lot more of a leader, he was talking and he was putting in sort of like those big blocks edge apart, and then Yakoviti sort of cleared a header off the line. Uh, I think it was a header, maybe from Samuels, but I might be wrong, or Ramirez, and, and, he, and he headed it off the line. And he started celebrating with Clark, you know, they could tell the two of them were pumped up as a central defensive pairing, um, up against sort of like a, a, a tough away ground. Um, so that I, I thought that's that. Lends itself to being pretty good for them if they can get these guys sort of proud of being. Because I, I wonder, I worry sometimes when teams concede loads of goals, it just it starts to become water off a duck's back. Um, when it's like another goal goes in, another goal, the heads just go down, and you don't sort of blame anyone anymore, and, and you don't really worry about it so much. But um, yeah, Clark, so I thought was was pretty good. I was impressed with them. You're talking about Callahan. Yeah, he really enjoys. With Jordan White up there, him getting close to him, that's similar to what he had with Ockenpo at, um, at Hamilton last season, where he was where he was so effective. Uh, so maybe if they could get something similar, Charles Cook coming inside, 
So they, someone who can play that sort of Bruce Anderson role and, and to make sure that Callaghan has got sort of more players to play off. But you were right, he was he was he was really dangerous for for Hamilton Callahan, and they got ahead. And that's the first time Ross County have been ahead the season. Um, and they had to get Ken by another another player who went down. That happened a lot this week. There was loads of half time and, and early changes uh, this week. And Cancola was off after after twenty minutes, uh, and then Peyton sort of came on. Um, to, to join his brother now, which I, I only realised like last week that they're actually uh, brothers. But uh, yeah, so Ross Kenny was a huge improvement. They still can see a few chances. If Samuel had scored that header, which was really easy at the start, it might have been very different. The, the head's going down for the, the Matty Longstaff pass, but they played their way into the game and they're going to need a little bit more of that because they've been totally sort of bum-rushed every match they've played this season and totally played off the park with goals, three goals in 10 minutes, three goals in 10 minutes. So they'll be glad because they've played Hibs, Rangers and Aberdeen now. So to make it that they, they sort of cope to one of the bigger teams in the league, they'll, they'll be delighted. Uh, 100%, 100%. I, I was interested in what you're saying there about uh, Clark and Jakoviti as well, because, you know, you're saying Jakoviti is a sort of, you can see the improvement in him since Clark came in. It's, I don't think he's going to be there for that long because I think Jack Baldwin will probably take his position, to be honest. Uh, quite a, an impressive signing by all uh, accounts, Jack Baldwin. But yeah, it's you're always looking for Ross County to improve um, at, at one point or another because I think they are a lot of people's favourites for the drop and they'll need performances like that from you know guys like Clark, guys like Charles Crook, Callahan, you know, important and potentially influential players uh, in that team. And they'll be looking for a lot less of that from Ross Laidlaw because I know better than anyone else uh, how much of an impact a negative impact having a poor goalkeeper can have when you're when you're down that end of the uh, down that end of the table maybe uh, battling and trying to stave off a playoff or, or automatic uh, relegation so yeah it's, it's got to be a concern that, that Laidlaw does have that capability to shut them in but then sometimes he goes through like 5-10 games of being great and you're like right well we must be wrong then but uh, yeah they, they need big performances county you know Jordan White is that sort of big focal point up front as well. You know, you can see throughout the team, they've, they've got players that can make a difference. and, and You can, can see some balance in it and you can see yeah. partnerships that make sense. Yeah, um, 100%, 100%. You know, even looking at the bench, you've, you've still got guys like, experienced guys like Keith Watson, then you've got Jack, uh, sorry, you've got Harry Payton who can who can pick a pass uh, if, if he needs good to. Good set piece. Great set piece on him. Uh, and they've got the phenomenally named Joseph Hungbo as well. So I just hope that he's good, purely based on the name. Let's go to Fur Park, Robert, where our good friends Graham and Gary's teams were, were sort of going head to head. And two teams that have had maybe better starts, or people have been slightly impressed with them this season at the start. I, I, I'm going to keep talking like this so we can. Yeah, I wasn't really sure if I was right there. Maybe just slaver <laughs> and shite, hoping that you'll come in and, and back up. <laughs> I think in terms of performance, Dundee have started the season well. Um, you know, they're, they're playing some good football. They're getting, you know, Charlie Adams, Charlie Adam, and, and he's going to make a huge difference to, to this Dundee team as the, the season goes on. Motherwell, I think, have been improving game by game. Uh, I, I think a lot of people were, were maybe tipping them to be a little bit shit. Uh, mm-hmm. this, but they've, they've not been, uh, you know, they've found a galloping marauder in Bevis Mugabe who's now uh, playing right back and just, you know, tanking players out of the way. And and I think the main thing that, that we should talk about here is the influence of, of Mr. Anthony Tony Watt. Because um, he's just come on to such a game. You know, you know, playing as more of a 
more of a central player. I, you know, Tony Watt throughout his career has been played right, left, number ten. Um, but he's been playing in that kind of number nine position. You know, he, he can drop off. He's he's got the he's got the football brain and the football talent to do that. But he's just becoming such a huge important player for this this Motherwell team. He's hit a real purple patch, and his goal was just I, I think he'll be one of the most underrated goals of the season. Uh, the way that he the way that he directs that backwards into the bottom corner. He makes it look easy, but it's not an easy thing to do at all. Um, and and in the end, obviously, that was along with Charlie Adam uh, coming off and and you know Motherwell gaining a bit more control when that happened. Tony Watt was a uh, you know a, a, a huge telling factor in this game. Um, it's interesting yeah. because it's Van Veen was sort of like the star man of the opening weekend in, in the defeat against Hibs and like people. Since that was like the live game on the telly, everyone everyone was watching it and. Like social media was raging, raving about Van Veen, and then he's so he picked up a knock, and then Watts be moved inside. Now you're wondering how Van Veen gets back in the team. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I'd, you know, I've got a lot of time for Van Veen because he seems like a right character. Um, certainly, his booking at the weekend as well um, was kind of you know showcased that a wee bit as well, just screaming in both the linesman and the referee's face for a throw-in <laughs> that was definitely Dundee's throw-in. <laughs> you know, just throw-in as well. Calm down, sir. Being being that certain that you're you're right even when you know you're wrong is that is a that is a skill. Um, but listen, I'd, there's never been any doubt about the, the quality of Tony Watt and, and what he can bring to a team when his head's in the right place and when he's you know when he's playing in an environment that he wants to play in. Uh, and I think his importance is is really beginning to shine through. And he's you know the the match winner um, at the weekend and, and just having such a positive influence on this Motherwell team. As I say. Who are progressively kind of getting better and better as the as the weeks go on, as as players find their positions uh, within the team and and sort of have that have that continuity in the team as well. Um, I was no interested, guys. Rob, that um, I looked at the stats again for this, and so Motherwell were playing was at forty percent possession, and when I watched them at Livingston, I was I sort of commented on them last week that I say they're they're very. I said earlier in the show, actually, I was saying there's teams that are sort of maybe looking at the Livingston blueprint and a, a Motherwell look like they're one of them. It's very fast-paced up and at them. They don't keep a lot of possession when I'm watching. And, and as I, I was saying last week, you've got Grimshaw, Ojala, Mugabe. Mm, slat, there's not a lot of football in there, but there's certainly a lot of endeavour and there's certainly a lot of pressing. And Ojala certainly looks like he likes to defend, which is good because beside him, Lamy doesn't seem to like to defend anymore. Um, and then you've got a little bit of football with O'Hara and, and what, and then Woolery and Amluzar, they're sort of like these sort of handful wide players who you never really know what they're going to do. That's sort of like my instant one. So they, they're really mirroring the manager because Graham Alexander looks, I didn't realise before, he looks fucking mental, man. He's a really rag guy. Um, looks quite aggressive. Um, on the on the touchline uh, and the way he carries himself, so that's sort of like mirroring this sort of like really aggressive up and at them team. Jake Carroll getting himself sent off as well, um, and that sort of was against Dundee. So the Dundee were, were were very different, and they, they 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 do seem to have quite a lot of footballers in the team. Yeah, just interesting what you're saying there about Graham Alexander. I've always felt he looks like uh, you know in the Jason Bourne trilogy. <laughs> Um, he looks like someone that Jason Bourne would have a really long drawn out fight scene with uh, <laughs> that Jason Bourne would eventually win but certainly uh, give him a good battering uh, in doing so as well he, he does look like a terrifying man he does I with Dundee with, with, with Dundee definitely there is there is more football in there I mean there's still endeavour you've got guys like Sean Byrne in there um, mm-hmm. you know Paul McGowan coming off the bench as well um, who will absolutely um, 
tick boxes when it comes to uh, getting in the face of the opposition. But, you know, guys like Paul McMullen, who's since he signed for, for Dundee, has been absolutely brilliant, you know, an absolute assist machine. Charlie Adam, we've already spoken about. Jason Cummins is, is sort of predatory instinct as soon as he gets 20, 25 yards from goal. Again, we saw that at the weekend, some really nice uh, sort of turns around. I mean, it was around Ricky Lamy, but he was getting past Lamy uh, quite nicely and getting shots on goal. So there's definitely football in this in this Dundee team. Uh, I, I think, you know, you look at how crestfallen um, McPake was after the game, you know, better team lost and he genuinely looked devastated. But sometimes that sort of, you know, punting ball and player like Motherwell can do is going to win uh, going to win out on the day and I, I think he's right to be upset because Dundee contributed an awful lot to that game um, you know McCowan hitting the bar with an incredible shot um, in the in the first half and you know they, they had their chances um, they had their opportunities and like you said they had the possession you know that they're able to keep the ball well on that team Um but sometimes these things happen and I think you know, quite often it happens at Fur Park because Motherwell are, are that kind of team. They're not going to give up on you. Uh, they will keep going and, and I think when they have something to protect, they are particularly good at protecting it as well. So. And their fans their fans will always come with them because they've really built up a really good, quite special relationship with their fans, which is quite smart, especially if you're going to play up and at them. Football, if that all sounds like it'll blend well, it all makes sense uh, and, and, and everyone will carry with that and it could be like a really, really difficult place to go this season, someplace it doesn't look overly difficult to go to at the moment is, is St Mirren Park, but they did manage to get a, a nil-nil draw, which really looking at what was happening the previous weeks, wasn't really that surprising, was it? No, not, not usually. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, St Johnston are, are, are still... St. Johnston are still trying to juggle so many competitions. Obviously, they're, they're out of Europe now, so, so maybe things will get a, a wee bit easier. But this one... You know, there were certainly chances in this game. You know, both teams went out to try and win it. I don't think there's any doubt about that. They, they were, you know, trying to force the issue. I thought it was interesting, obviously, uh, Kelly starting without Chris Kane. Uh, we, we all know how much he can give to, I just said Kelly, St. Johnston starting without Chris Kane. Uh, we all know what he can offer to the team, obviously, starting with Calum Hendry and Stevie May, who maybe don't get quite as many starts just now. And yeah, it was. Two fairly evenly matched teams uh, that, that you probably couldn't fit a daily record between just now uh, in, in terms of that performance that, you know, th- there was chances, there was big chances, uh, you know, a, a really weird miss from, I think, Richard Tate, uh, who just sort of bounced it off Xander Clark at the back post. It was, it was a reaction, it was one of those really weird ones because Xander Clark did react it, but he has to react so fast and it's so close to him that it doesn't look like he's trying <laughs> so yeah. just like, like that, yeah, right, that's that sort of don't worry, lads, that's that dealt with. And then he probably didn't even realise it even happened before that. Um, I was looking at the way sort of St. Mirren sort of went to a back three, um, which is what we more probably more expected to play this season. That was matching up with um with St. Johnston. But interesting enough, they put uh, Connor McCarthy into midfield. Uh, I was speaking to Craig Cairns, I was surprising from, from my point of view anyway. Um, but he said he was he was pretty good. He, he played well. He was quite tidy in there. And the only problem was is that he Goodwin had to keep on pushing him to get forward because he kept on when throwings are getting taken, he would do it. And naturally, he was emanating towards um, to, to, to centre half again. I was he was adamant that Simbirin were a, a, a very much a long ball team here, uh, like missing out the midfield. He said McGrath was really good when he picked it up. 
he, he would he was pinging balls in to Maine and it was very up and at them. And he he spoke about Livingston. Um, he said it was very like reminiscent and then try to get it forward, main knockdown, then trying to play football in that area when you've got McGrath and Brophy, which makes sense because I quite liked that with Livingston last season. I always thought it was quite smart. They'd smash it forward. But when the ball dropped, they were able to play quite intricate football around the box with, with Forrest and Sybil and Bruce and all the, all the time last season. So I thought it was interesting to see that it was a good ones. So sort of looking towards that, but yeah, it's just still not going to happen for St. Mary. But it should, it makes, the team does, that makes sense to me with McGrath there. You've got Tanzer and Tate. I can see why he signed Curtis Main because that sounds like they're going to, Tate and Tanzer both love, like good at crossing. I can even picture Tanzer picking out Tate because Tate loves sort of wandering into the box, but I just can't get that break. And I still see both these teams coming half decent you're starting to get nervous about their top six credentials. Yeah, 100%. You know, St Mirren and St Johnston both sort of... Certainly St Johnston performed way above their, their, their expectation last year. I think St Mirren did have a good season as well. And obviously Jim Goodwin's taken a, a lot of very deserved plaudits for that as well. I think, you know, if, if you look at both teams, your, your main man's in the middle there. You've got Jamie McGrath for St Mirren and Ali McCann for... Uh, for, for St Johnston, you know, McGrath offers just so much to St Mirren and I think if if they were to ever lose him, he'd be near impossible to replace. And I think that is a concern uh, when you've got one player who's who's maybe so far ahead of the rest and, and can maybe not paper over tracks, but but certainly, um, you know, elevate the team to a, a specific level that, that they want to be playing at. I'm not I'm not hugely concerned about either in terms of, you know, I don't think they're going to have terrible seasons, but at the same time, I'm not sure either are going to have as good a season as they had mm. last year, if that makes sense. Um, no, no, it does. And, and it's and it's frustrating because as, as I said this to Tom last week, this is the first time that Goodwin's got like a normal pre-season under his belt. First time he came in late and he had to make all the signings late and he'd done really well. Then the next time it was obviously COVID. Um, and, but he was improving them every time. So it's, it's a shame that that's not really come off this season. And then they've got a third red card on the trot. Um, which sort of lends itself to maybe being quite frustrated. And, and Erehorn hasn't had the best start to his season for what I was reading for, for St Mirren fans. Uh, but he's a young player, so a drop in form. He was, he was really good last season. He doesn't play like a young player, quite similar to Ali McCann, actually. Like the, the, they, 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 they sort of barely their age um, and, and their style. Um, but I'd imagine, again, that, that he will come good. And yeah, I, I'm with you. As long as they don't lose too many Players, again, we've got McGrath, Rooney, obviously Kerr and McCart, uh, Ali McCann. I mean, there's lots there. That would worry you. And obviously, another thing that disappointing of your St. Johnston, last season they were rotating those forwards quite well and they were all, they were always getting one one goal out of the seven of them. At some point, someone would come, come yeah. forward. But right now, there seems to be a big drop-off between so Middleton's had a good start. I know he nearly scored the free kick. He hit the bar, but he's he's looked decent when, when he's been playing. And Chris Kane's a pest. Even though they've not been getting the goals, they, they looked like a handful in these European games, especially. But there was expectations on Hendry to come back and be better. And, and Stevie May that just wasn't wasn't there. And there's a worry that these guys are starting to look like more of a drop-off. Because last season, as I said, it needed all those guys that are played f- f- forward, seven of them, to even get the 36 goals that they managed to score last season. So if there's a drop-off at any of these forward players, 
that comes a worry about where the where the goals come from. Yeah, hundred percent. I think Callum Hedge is an interesting one. Um, you know, he, he went to Aberdeen, did all right, but I think I feel like he's the kind of player that needs a run of games. Mm-hmm. You know I mean, I, I think he's got the attributes and he's got the he's got the technique and the the, the technical capabilities to make a big difference to to that team that he's in. You know, he's 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 maybe not the tallest guy on earth, but he's he's strong. You know, he, he can run it. Yeah, you can he can scare a defence. Uh, and you know, as, as we've kind of seen, he scored a couple of goals at, at Aberdeen last season. It's not as if he's he's, he's incapable. You know, he's, he's not one of these strikers that won't score you goals. But I think he does need he does need that kind of allowance from the manager to, to give him some game time. But obviously, with Chris Kane, Chris Kane's absolutely going to be your your number one choice striker. Um, especially for everything that he gave to, to St. Johnston last year. Again, not necessarily in terms of out-and-out goal scoring, but but absolutely underpinning what they are as a team, uh, which is, you know, going to try and get under your skin and uh, and behind you that way. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It feels like, you know, both teams aren't that far away from clicking. Uh, at the same time, you know, Curtis Main had a, a decent chance in this one. Brophy's already off the mark for the season. Um, Chris Kane, obviously, getting his, his goals in Europe. So, you know, they're not a million miles off it, is what I would say. Um, but maybe this this nil nil draw was one of the most obvious, uh, <laughs> one of the most obvious results of the weekend uh, that, that, that you maybe could have seen coming uh, a, a wee mile away. Well, as you're saying there, but what wasn't obvious is that Tony Ralston was going to be suddenly such a good player, and we're going to go over to Patreon to discuss sort of wild claims that fans and people have been making in recent weeks. So he's got Celtic fans basically angry that Ralston wasn't in the in the Scotland squad and now he's been referred to as one of the best right-backs in the country, uh, which obviously for a lot of people that would seem ridiculous. But we've got some of our own ridiculous and wild claims that we're going to go and make and sort of defend them to the help. Things like Ryan Porches involved. You're going to hear Rob make an outrageous claim uh, if you're a Hibs fan. So come over. And listen to us there and Rob say goodbye. Goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.